0: And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T and Your T-Lo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the Low in Your T-Lo. Lorenzo as my lovely husband. Yeah. And it's all a very science fiction-y sort of yeah. PSO. It's mostly a Dune PSO, but we figured we'd kick off by talking. Well, first off, how are you, Lorenzo? And any sort of small talk I'm you'd fine. like to make? Anything you Think anything you fine. ate no. that was interesting. Think or? Fine. Uh, we Yeah. Ready for fall. Ready? We're smack in the middle of it. Well, what are like, you talking about? Well, you
1: know, full-on bring it all. all. Well, we,
0: we have shipped the long <laughs> pants and long sleep shirts.
1: Yeah. And, and the yeah, anyway, so I, I do like that. And I, you can see the cats change their behavior, too. I, I do like that. It's, yeah. It's cute. They and they move to
0: different parts of the uh, loft, depending yeah, on yeah, yeah, yeah. what time of day it is and what and time of year it is.
1: Pumpkin pie. Yes. My well, we favorite had sweet potato thing pie ever. Yeah, we had sweet potato pie, which I'm not crazy about it, but I don't know. Uh, I'll have it. Uh, But You inhaled it. (laughs) Yeah, I can't control myself when it comes to sweets and pies. But anyway. This is true. Yes, but pumpkin pie is my favorite. It's funny because I don't like to eat pumpkin, but pumpkin pie, yes. Interesting. Interesting. Fascinating. Very, very. But we're not going to linger on that.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) We are going to talk all things Dune this week because Dune came out, and that's what everybody's talking about. Pardon me. And we will be... um, Talking about the film in a mostly non-spoilery way. We're not really giving away too much, but we will review it. We're going to talk a little bit about the costumes. And um, I actually think it would be kind of hard to spoil Dune. I mean, Well,
1: I wanna, have oh, to work. No,
0: that. I want to avoid a few things. Because, of course, but, yeah, but I, uh, I, it's I basically want... a story about intrigue and politics and mysticism. And right. this is the first half of the first book being adapted. So, you know... I won't give things away. We won't give things away. We're just going to talk about the themes and the aesthetics of it and sort of the response to it. Because, of course, this being in this day and age... Uh, oh, and shout out. I just want to say, because we said it on this podcast at least two years ago, that um, there was an organized bot campaign I against know, I know. Meghan Markle, and we said, oh, my God, I know this sounds crazy, but trust us, we look at these things, and we can and sure enough, it came out this week. There was a big report that came out that it's this huge organized bot network. Yeah, that we just,
1: actually have a link uh, to a very interesting article we posted yesterday about it. I am ex- vindicated. Explaining the whole thing. And, yeah, And it's scary and, and, and horrifying at the same time that, you know, you have that going on. And yeah, so...
0: But we, we pegged it. Hmm. And that's all that matters to me. No, I'm joking. It's terrible that this happens. But uh one thing I want to say that I think that report might not have been too keen on, maybe this sounds like it's balancing things out. But when we talked about this back in the day, we said that there was an organized bot campaign surrounding... Both, you know, the fact that there is a Cambridge side and a Sussex side is because there are people on both sides
1: Correct. Who are yes. using
0: these, these, these two figures. And the fact that one of them is a woman of color and the other one is a white woman standing in line for the whitest lineage in European history. There's a lot of racism underlying that. Of course, absolutely, there is. yeah. Um, a lot of this has nothing to do with Kathy Cambridge herself, or the. And I don't think they do anything to encourage this. But when you go into a lot of the hardcore Cambridge fan bot fan type accounts, there's white supremacy all over those accounts. Um, so. The thing is, it's not that there's just, in my opinion, it's not that there's just an organized campaign against Meghan Markle. It's if there is a campaign to use these women as proxies for, uh, for something race, much bigger for race got, war yeah, exactly, questions. Exactly. Uh, and there are people who fan both sides of that. There are people who claim to be, you know, Sussex fans who will who will stir up all kinds of, you know, who will attack journalists. And so. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is a cloud of bots, and while it's easy to say there's only one side that's doing this, it's actually just surrounds any right. sort of discussion of the family, the royal family, because you also have the Andrew Epstein, Prince Andrew thing, so there's all these bots that swarm every time that right. comes up.
1: I think, I think we're getting to a point um, that you can kind of recognize when it's a bot or when it's something program
0: to you and I can. Yeah,
1: I understand. But I'm saying that if you are on, on social media a lot, I mean you're beginning to see that and hopefully things will get better and people will avoid that kind of thing. Um especially with everything that's going on right now with, you know, former Facebook, now Meta. Now I mean, whatever. <laughs> whatever. You just changed the name, same problem. But what I'm trying to say is all the stuff coming out now about how, how it how it works, you know, how the machine actually Works, you know, behind the scenes and it's terrifying.
0: Yeah. I don't see any improvement on that front anytime soon. No, absolutely not. But, uh, all right, moving on before we get into Dune and -hmm. how you Dune, um, let's talk about Invasion, which was a huge disappointment for us this week. It was, we were much, we were waiting for this. It was, uh, it is an Apple TV plus series, uh, it looked ve- it looks very expensive, uh, like all Apple TV series look. Um, Sam Neill was in it, and, you know. Well, you know that's a prestige sort of genre actor coming back to the fold. Um, the rest of the cast isn't exactly, you know. The only other cast member, and she's not well known to American audiences, is, is the Iranian actress Golshifteh Farahani, who is in a lead role, and she's actually the best thing in the whole show. She's fantastic. Yeah, the show itself is. I honestly one of my biggest disappointments of the year. I was like, oh, this looks like a really good, really expensive alien invasion TV series. We haven't had one of those in a while. And um it is a really dull, really boring alien invasion TV series. The the um show creator, showrunner Simon Kimberg, like he's done some of the X-Men movies and stuff like that. He said in an interview this week that his inspiration for this was the NBC family melodrama, This Is Us, which you and I loathe that show with every fiber of <laughs> Sorry, everyone, but we do. Oh, my God. let um, not get into We that. just load that show. We load that style of show. And this is what he's done is that he's, the world is being invaded by aliens, but we spend entire episodes dealing with a soldier with PTSD or a woman whose husband is cheating on her or a schoolboy who's being bullied like and there's, like, alien invasion stuff going on in the background, and we're fo- and the entire focus is on these very human stories. And I guess that sounds good on paper, but every single one of these quote-unquote human stories is as dull as Dishwater.
1: The thing is that—and uh, I also want to mention uh, Shioli
0: uh, Kutsuna. I, I, oh, well, hers is the only one. Yeah. And why don't you explain what her story is?
1: She she is—first of all, she's a queer character, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, she works for, a uh, I guess, a, a Asian version of Natha.
0: Yeah, the Japanese version space agency
1: yes and um she has a girlfriend and the girlfriend who's an astronaut it was an astronaut and then then there's their story and i don't want to give too no much away but anyway it's their story and they hide their relationship and it's and she does a phenomenal job right uh, uh, at work wherever she where, where she works <clears throat> and also her relationship and dealing with her mother um and and everything else so it, it it's really well done that's the, the great the only good thing about the show is that Most of the actors are very good and they understand their character. But as you explained, um, I think it's interesting to have a background, uh, you know, some sort of story and tell you where these characters come from and their family and and families and and, and demons and so on. But at the same time, you have to keep the core story going on at the same
0: time. Three hours into it and there's been barely any sort of movement on this invasion.
1: This is all wonderful that you get to know them and their issues and so on and problems and blah 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 but at the same time it's like hello this is about an invasion <laughs> right and so where are these people uh they're just taking their time and and so it it it's very off balance i think it's just it it doesn't you keep waiting for more to happen and uh they're so focused on talking and having dialogues about their issues and so on. There's a
0: scene where the fa- a family where the uh, she, she's a mother and she her husband's cheating on her and she has two young children. They're all in the house together and there's a big explosion outside, which actually two and a half hours later, I still don't know what that explosion was. <laughs> they still true. haven't explained it. And they all have an argument about where, what they should do next, and should we go down in the basement, and let's go down in the basement, and, and then the mother won't go down, so then the father has to grab the mother and bring her down into the basement, and then they all go down into the basement, and then they look out the basement window, and this is when it starts getting really dumb. The street is positively teeming with their own neighbors, so like, trying to figure out what the hell was, there's, like, little fires going on and everything, and they're all trying to figure out what's going on, and I'm like, why are these characters hiding in the basement when everybody else is outside? Right. And then, finally, the father decides to go outside, and there's an argument about whether he should go outside, and then he's outside, and then suddenly the mother shows up outside, and then I'm, I threw my hands up in the air. I was like, that was absolutely 10 minutes of wasted time, like, screen time, narrative time. Right, right. Didn't really tell us anything about the characters, well, except they're dumb. Like, why would you go down in the basement? What? And- I don't mean to hang on that one moment. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of moments like that where it's not just small personal stories about people. It's really boring, drawn-out, pointless scenes that don't do anything but they serve to slow down the action deliberately. They want to keep it from you, and that's fine if you give us some sort of delicious thing to hold on, but, you know, tantal, I can't see, wait to see what I, nothing like that. It is as dull, my husband's cheating, this boy is mean to me at school, I've been a soldier too long, like, all of these stories have been told a million freaking times, like, and there's no spin on them here. There's nothing. It's just... It just
1: a- goes, goes on and on and on and on and... and-
0: oh, and Sam Neal. Is a, a a small town Oklahoma sheriff who's about to retire, but uh oh, <laughs> the world ended. So, so and I, I mean, that is the I'm a bit sheriff who's about to retire. Seriously, like that is as big a cliche as you get in these stories. So huge disappointment. Looks gorgeous. I mean, it globe. It's, well, it's all shot all over the world. It's shot many. in Tokyo. It's shot in. I don't know if they've ever been in Europe in any of their episodes yet. Uh, oh, and that's the other thing. It's supposed to be giving you this global, but it's sort of global except it's so America-centric. Like even the like the Middle Eastern family are all Americans. They're not. And then the a soldier is in the middle Middle East, but he's he's in Afghanistan, and but he's American. He's so American, it's like yeah. uh, you keep looking at this from American points of view in too many ways.
1: It does that that thing that drives me crazy about. You know, world invasion of aliens is that you get to know you 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 inform that aliens are invading the whole country because they show the news on TV and then with different language. Right, it's always <laughs> and,
0: in like a bunch of different languages really but, rapidly.
1: Yeah, very rapidly for 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 five minutes you 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 get to hear all these reporters in different languages. You know, talk about what's going on. And, and oh, okay, so it's not just here in. You know, in DC, right? <laughs> but it it, it 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 always cracks me up. But, but at least the uh, Japanese characters are—they uh, speak Japanese, so that's it's that's true. It, so it's not English it's just all the, the time. Just to the credit. Yeah, yeah, I do appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, but there's a scene that's when I lost. It. I was like, I can't watch this anymore. Uh, the um, I'm again, I'm not going to give anything away. But there's a scene with the um, American soldier, and uh, he's having a conversation oh with yes ad. oh my and they He's can't speak the language to
0: an afghanistan man Afghanistani man who is speaking to him in arabic while he is speaking in english and they have a con- it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever it, it,
1: it it's ridiculous because he keeps talking and he keeps saying well i yeah i know you can't understand me but and then he goes and then on, the other know, guy
0: says something
1: and yeah. and they talk about their lives because that's your uh, opportunity you know they're they're showing you the viewer uh and trying to explain their lives and and what they're going through so you so you you're supposed to just <laughs> listen to these two guys talk to each other and although they can't understand each other but that's your way of getting to know the character a little bit more meanwhile you're like all right where are the uh in, where are the aliens
0: um i i don't know do you have more i wanted to move then on I to tune but uh I we can't really right, recommend right. it. I, I just don't think it's yeah, I, Invasion I, is not a good show.
1: I gave it a shot, I watched three episodes, but I don't think I'm uh, and it's a shame because I do like the, the those two uh ladies, uh, they're amazing, um, mm-hmm. amazing actresses, actors,
0: but um, not Taylor recommended. Sorry to say, we're still sort of watching Foundation, you're behind on an episode or two, but. Uh It is holding my interest slightly. It's still very ponderous, and, and it is seriously hardcore science fiction. So it's a lot of stuff about math and cloning and all this other stuff. Um, but I do like the cast, and I am intrigued about where it's going. And they keep jumping around on the timeline just enough to keep me invested into finding what, out what's going on. So, and that's something that Invasion just does not manage. All right, now moving on to big screen, big time science fiction... Denny Villeneuve's uh, version of Dune has finally debuted. It was two years in, you know, delayed because of the um, uh, pandemic, and this was much much uh, anticipated because it had a huge all star cast, be- and because he is quite um, a science fiction stylist. He did Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which I actually l- love that movie. I think it's a very underrated film, um, and Arrival, the Amy Adams movie about aliens. Uh, so it was a lot of excitement. Timothy Chalamet was was cast as Paul Atreides, and you know, so there was a lot of excitement and anticipation for this, and it has finally come out. And um, I think it was worth the wait. In fact, I I'm gonna I want you to talk about this because I did not read the books, and he did, and Lorenzo did, and we had different initial reactions to the film. But I've actually watched the film twice this week. And went back and watched the um, David Lynch 1984 version, just for comparison, because I'd never seen it before. And I honestly do feel that this film is, that Dune is a science fiction masterpiece and a classic. I mean, it was, I felt like this what the first time I saw Fellowship of the Ring, Mm -hmm. where I was like, oh, okay, this is taking everything to the next level. The quality level is so high here that to compare this to something like a Star Wars movie is like, oh, no, that's, that's actually kind of silly. A Star Wars movie, much as I love Star Wars, that is a very cartoon, action film mm. version. of This is very sort of ponderous science fiction. And it's all about the style and about the references and about the conversations much more than it is about the gun battles. And I just think he did a brilliant job. Stylistically, it is an absolutely gorgeous film. There are certain moments in that film that are just stunning. Not just to look at, but the way they are acted. Right. Um, And from what I know of the material, I think he did a very good job of taking what he needed from it to tell a cinematic story and then letting everything else be sort of implied or in the background without... Because I, when I did watch it the second time, having done some research on the story, I was like, "Oh, now I understand all this other stuff in the background." Anyway, I want that's you, cool. Yeah, I want you to talk about it because your initial response was that you felt he had missed too much. Uh,
1: listen, I I read the book a long, long time ago. Uh, I one of my best friends uh, is a graphic designer, and he was in school, he was studying, getting his degree, uh, and uh, his final project was to do something very creative. Uh, and he chose Dune uh, as his inspiration. Uh, he had to create a book uh, and, and do all this beautiful stuff to present in class. Um, I, I, I can still smell the spice. He put all the spice on the book. It looked phenomenal. And I didn't know anything about it. And he's the one who introduced me to the book. And I read the book, loved it, absolutely loved it. It's one of those books where that um, you just... you. You know, when you read any book, you have to imagine what, you know, the, 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 everything, the, the surroundings, the, the the places they go to and all that stuff have to imagine what they wear. Excuse me. And I felt that Dune was like a perfect, if you like to imagine what you're reading, I think Dune is one of, it's a great book for that. Mm -hmm. There's so many details, so much information about everything that you can actually imagine and this whole world that he created, which is very, very, very detailed. Um and I always thought it would be hard to uh translate all that into a movie or a TV series or something. Um I I watched of course I watched the nineteen eighty four version. Um uh, and to this day I, I still feel that it's it's almost like <laughs> It's all, almost. I wouldn't. I, I maybe I shouldn't say it, but it, it felt to me like a mockery. <laughs> like it's just, it's just it's so cartoonish. It's such a, a cartoonish version of the of the book that when you watch it again now, it to me it's like a joke. It's I,
0: extraordinarily I, dated.
1: Yeah, I can't even take it seriously. Yeah. Um. They they David Lynch tried so hard to give all the information that it's in that is in a book, um. And it just feels horrible because there was so much na- uh, narration. Everyone explains everything. They actually have close-up where the, they explain the book to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but the, you can hear their thoughts in the movie. Yes, like, yes, like yes.
1: Like there's a lot You can hear what characters on.
0: are thinking because there's all this voiceover. It's all very stylistically weird, which is... And there were parts of it that I'm like, yeah, there's David Lynch. I can see it. But he has disowned the film. And he doesn't want his name on it, and he never wants to talk about it because it was apparently a terrible experience. He worked with Dino De I think it was Dino De Laurentiis. And um, they took the cut of the film away from him. But that doesn't really explain away some of the bizarre acting choices and stuff. I agree. I don't think he connected with the material. And it's very clear, if you see interviews with Denis Villeneuve, you read them. He's been a fan of this book since he was 14, and he's been thinking about it.
1: So if you like the book... um and you watch everything, no matter what. I mean, you still appreciate it, some of it. Um, and it's your first time, you know, if you read the You're book... You're talking little, about David Lynch now. Yeah. Okay. no, I'm talking about the previous version, 1984. If you read the book like me a long, long time ago, um, so you were dying for any version of it because you wanted to see what it looked like. So, you know, you, you, you might appreciate the 1984 for whatever, for what it is. Uh, there's also a TV version a TV series. I believe I've never watched that. Um, and then this version. So I was very skeptical. Of course I was, because I was like, Oh my God, they're going to try this again. And it, I don't know. Um, and they went with big names because you know, uh, Zendaya is a big name Tim- Timothee Chalamet is a big name. So right. they went with the big names. Um, and I was like, oh, I don't know. But then I watched a bunch of interviews with the director, uh, Dennis Villeneuve, uh, Villeneuve, I, I guess. Um, he, and he, the way he explained everything, you can see, you can watch him speak. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's someone who loves a book and passionate read the about book, it, very passionate about, about it. the project. Yes, uh, very, really wants to pay an homage to the book. You right. can, you can see that, uh, every, you know, you can hear in, in his voice. So, so, yeah. So, I he's excited. He was excited about it. And I, I do like... Now, I have a question for you because I didn't have time to check. Did they advertise this movie as a part one movie or... or? It, it, it's the title of, is part one. I know. But did they say this is part one and we're, we're like... The well, Dune. I mean, it's
0: in the title. Dune part one.
1: Huh. Okay. Um, Because... To me, it was quite a, I was surprised when it ended. I was like, oh, that's it? Oh, no, I, was, I went into I it knowing know. we weren't
0: getting the whole thing. Okay, Especially so in, I didn't I mean, know. Like I said, you must have missed it in the title, but it did actually say Dune Part 1. I know the film is called Dune, but actually the title card says Part 1. I mean, it's going to be like Star Wars... The the original film is now called The New Hope. When Dune Part 2 comes out, the film that we just watched is going to retroactively be titled Dune well, Part that, 1. That, but no, I knew he didn't tell the whole story. See,
1: because it didn't say Part 1 or whatever. I, I, well, it did. Well, while well, well, I was watching it, but not advertised. Like, right, You right, still right. Could go online and it says Dune only. Yeah. So I I, I didn't know that was going to be, uh, or at least they were hoping for a Part 2. And that's one of the things I hate about television and, and movies now is that everything is created with hopes that, you know, it turns into a season two, three, four, or part one, two, and three. So if you don't get that, then you, you screwed, you get half of the sandwich. Um, And I, I, so I, and I felt that for something like Dune, um, it's a mild criticism for something like Dune that there's so much introduction and explanation. I felt that the first movie was all about that. There wasn't a lot going on.
0: Well, there's a reason why I compare it to Fellowship of the Ring because, again, mm-hmm. it's it is somewhat similar to Fellowship of the Ring where uh, you aren't getting the whole story. And in fact, the story, both movies end largely the same way with people going off on a quest right, to right. the next part of the right. story after suffering lots of death and adventure. You know, all these main characters die along the way and whoever is left marches off to the next part of the story. It felt very Fellowship of the Ring to me in right, that right. way, in a very deliberate sort of way. And it didn't bother me at all. It didn't bother me at all that I wasn't getting a complete story. And mm. um, I I actually did feel like this was the correct point to cut it. And it did mm-hmm. feel, I don't want to get too much into it, but we did go on a journey, especially with Paul, and he comes out of it a completely different person at the end of the journey, ready to start the next part of the story. So I did not feel cheated. I, I knew we weren't getting resolution to—I don't want to give away too much. But um, to me, I thought he took, he took one half of a really unwieldy and difficult and um, very interior book, from what I understand. It's all about what's going on in characters' heads— and he turned it into a two-and-a-half-hour movie right, with a beginning, right. middle, and end that I felt was satisfactory. It it led the characters to a specific point in the story. Mm-hmm. They reached that point in the story. They assessed their surroundings, went through some changes, and then went d- decided on the next course of action. Boom, end of movie. I know that it bothered you, and I know that a lot of other critics were bothered by it, but I keep returning to Fellowship of the Ring. Like, that's how that ended. Right. You knew it was part of a larger story. Um, and even Dune itself, the book Dune itself, is m- part of a much larger, much weirder story. I don't know how much of that's going to wind up on film. He did say he was talking about doing three films. Really? So ah. he was talking about doing, what's the th- the next book? Dune Messiah, I think. Um, and if he was to do that, then it would be a trilogy about Paul Atreides' life. Interesting. He, he would tell it from beginning to end. Um, that, that's but int- that, that that's takes the character yeah. in some, I don't want to give anything away, but if you do, that's the thing about this story is, um, and let's get into this. There are, about some of the criticism of the film and, and like for one, there has been some eye rolling at Paul as another sort of white savior trope. Mm-hmm. But if you know the story of Paul, like that's kind of the point of him is that he's, he's, if you put your faith in these white savior types, they will, in the end, cause insane amounts of destruction. Right. Um, that it is a criticism of the white savior trope in the long run, but if you're just looking at doing the film with Timothy Chalamet, then yes, it very much indulges in these, you are the one, you are the chosen one, you know, you, and it's a lot of if not brown people, people who are sort of in brown face doing this sort of you-are-the-chosen-one, you know, and some of this doesn't play very well. The um, critic Roxana Haddadi has been making this point. I think she did a review in Ver... on The Verge. She writes all over the place. She writes for Pajiba and the A.B. Club, and she also had a piece today, I think, in... Vulture talking about the orient, the orientalism of the film, the right. orientalism that's inherent in the story that you almost can't escape. It is a story about a desert-dwelling people who live in a desert that contains the most precious commodity in the entire universe and right. all the other powers are fighting over that commodity. So it is quite clearly a metaphor about the Arab world and about oil. oil. Yes. Yes. And this was written in 1965. So his framing of it is very 1965 in how he looks at it. Um, now that was the idea. That, that was the, the idea. That the, the power is with the white people, exactly
1: sucking up all the uh, you know energy and, and and resources from from the dark people, the so, dark skinned people. Exactly. Yeah, that that's that's you know the story. That's yes.
0: And Roxana Hadadi, the critic, has been making some very good, very nuanced criticisms of how he how Denis Villeneuve, the director, approached that and what things he did, what things that he probably couldn't have avoided doing, and what things that are. You know, questionable. One of the things that she points out, and this is very damning, is that the 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 Fremen who are the desert dwelling people at the center of the story, are um, clearly based on um, Arabic people, Middle Eastern, North African right. people uh, in their clothing style. They speak Arabic. They use a lot of Arabic words. Uh, the word jihad is is thrown around in the book a lot, um, and certain titles that characters have, uh, the emperor's name and that sort of thing, the things that they call Paul, the, the sort of messianic things that they, titles that they bestow, they're all in Arabic. So, um, Herbert uh developed them as an i mean it is a little weird to say that all all i mean all the characters in the book are supposed to be like ten thousand years in the future and the implication is that they are humans like the one character's name is duncan idaho there are certain things that imply that they all originated from earth there are certain stylistic choices the bene gesserit are very very much modeled on catholic nuns in a lot of ways right but it is kind of weird that you would decide that one entire culture would be transplanted from uh, from the deserts of Earth to a desert planet. There's sort of a one to oneness that right. it doesn't quite. When you look at say the Atreides or the Harkonnens, you know, there's this idea of European royalty, but they're not saying like the Atreides are French and the Harkonnens are Italian. You know, it's it's just they're sort of a melange. Not to you know, I know that's what they call spice <laughs> in the book. Not to no pun intended. But it's sort of this melange of, like, European influences where, and you see this on the film, and I was kind of like, and this was before I really look, read into it and what the Fremen were about, but I, was, I couldn't get over how, um, like, okay, you, you see Lady Jessica, who's Rebecca Ferguson's character, she probably has the best costumes in the entire movie, they're freaking stunning. Right. Um, most of the Atreides, when they're on Caledon, it's very European. The military uniforms look European. The herald of the emperor shows up, and he's basically dressed like a Catholic—like, literally just like a Catholic priest. Um, and then Lady Jessica wears these very medieval-inspired gowns in all these beautiful colors. So it's Euro-esque, without being specific. Then they go to Arrakis, the desert planner, and boom, it is just Bedouin wear. It is just— arabic desert wear the way we see it now there was no interpretation of it like their faces were all wrapped up they were wearing you know hijabs or scarves and they're all like bowing down to this white guy and calling him their savior and i I thought that was really questionable as a design choice like if you're going to interpret all the people who came from european backgrounds why are you claiming that these the arabic inspired people haven't changed in ten thousand years there's a little bit of a problem with that.
1: I think there's always this idea that if, you, if you're doing something for the desert, then you, you always have to go there to the same source of I will, inspiration, which is, which is wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, but I will point to, I'll say this about George Lucas and the Star Wars universe. When they populate desert planets, they don't dress the people. Like Luke Skywalker was from a desert planet, and they did an interesting take on white you know, uh, gauzy fabrics that he would wear and how the clothes were, but they did the same thing with Daisy Ridley where she was born on a different desert planet and they were able to make choices about how she dressed that made sense for living in a desert without actually appropriating from, say, Arab or North African cultures. So you can do it and for whatever reasons, Villeneuve and the costume designers chose not to. There's that. There's also the point that Villeneuve constantly, and I did cringe. I think this is one of the most stylish movies in the last 10 years. Definitely one of the most stylish science fiction films of all time. But um, every time they had a shot of a desert or a Fremen or anything like that, there was this wailing lamentation on the background, like these ululating Mm -hmm. Arabic women, which is such a cliche whenever you deal with that sort of stuff on film, whenever you show Iraq, you know, Iraq or or anything, and suddenly there's a woman wailing in the background like that. That is a cliche. It would be like every time you turn towards the Atreides, you played like Mozart. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like it's the same sort of, Mm -hmm. and that would seem silly if you did that. Um, So I do want to acknowledge, and then as Roxana Haddadi has said, one of the things that really does stick out like you can claim all right well he's taking inspiration whatever um but he didn't cast any middle eastern actors there's it's a very diverse cast but they do talk about
1: yeah they do talk about being a very diverse uh cast but they don't go more than that mm -mm. they they don't get into all the details that these people they're still not Arabs or or or, you know
0: there's Javier Bardem there in his Uh, Spanish accent
1: right so I guess that's Good enough, for them, and I Zendaya, yeah. who is yeah.
0: biracial, and I did, I did have a problem with her performance because I understood it would be a good idea not to do Chani as some sort of exotic temptress, which would be very easy given the story. So when she's finally presented, and and he has all these visions of her, which does tend to exoticize her. So when he finally meets her, she's not like that at all. She's very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. But she just sounded like an American girl of the 21st century. There just wasn't a lot there. And I just, I didn't want her to speak in a very affected manner. But they even got people like um, Jason Moma, who is fan-freaking-tastic oh, in this. I know, I know, amazing. They yeah. got him to use formalities like my boy when he would talk to Timothy Chalamet. And he made it sound very natural. And Josh Brolin, he had some very formal right, sort right, of right. old-fashioned speaking. Because these are like aristocrats. Um. So they could have done something with Zendaya to give her a little, not exoticism, but you just sound like Zendaya. Like, you sound like Mary Jane in the Spider-Man films every time you open, open your mouth. And I did, I was a little disappointed in that.
1: Um, yeah, and, but, you know, Zendaya, it's, she has a long way to you go. You don't like
0: her as an actress. I
1: think she's limited. I think uh, she's limited. I would say Yeah. Limited. Uh same thing with Timothee Chalamet and yeah yes, come. You can come and yell at me and punch me whatever you want to do. He's also very limited. He he works for this role because he, you know, the character is young and mm-hmm. kind of introverted in a way but at the same time, you know, wants to explore and so he kind of does that. Okay. I think he got better. Um but yeah, people love him. People, I mean, I every he, every uh, review I read, they they think he's the perfect pole, so I
0: I think he's very good in it. I think um, there's stuff about Timothy Chalamet, the person that um, you might confuse with Timothy Chalamet, the actor, and not realize that he is actually. I'm not saying you specifically. In other words, we tend to see him as this sort of. I don't know. Um, he comes off like a rich boy. He basically comes Mm -hmm. off like a very privileged golden boy type. And I mean, his background basically is that. Um, So when he plays a character like Paul Atreides, you may look at certain scenes and think that's just Timothy Chalamet because he's some obnoxious rich boy, but he's actually playing an obnoxious rich boy. I love
1: That's why it works now.
0: But he's good at it. I love the scene with the Gom jabbar with Charlotte Mm -hmm. Rampling, where he immediately cops an attitude with her. Mm -hmm. And he's like, how dare you send my mother out of the room and all that That's what he's good at. These sort of pompous young men who don't understand what they're talking about yet. And I Mm -hmm. think he really nailed that about Paul. And I think he nailed the slow understanding that Paul has to go through to get to the point at the end of the story where he is seen as a potentially heroic figure. Because Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the book, he's just like a bratty little boy. Right. Um, talk about the Gamja Bar scene because I thought it was—I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I hadn't read oh, the book,
1: which is fantastic. What then. a stunning oh, scene!
0: What an absolute stunning scene see, see, in every I, way. I
1: envy you. Then that's when not reading the book it's perfect. Yeah,
0: because Charlotte Rampling, Jesus know. Christ! Oh, first of all, God. she's
1: amazing. She's an amazing actress. She is, and uh, she did that all with her voice. Yeah, she's wearing a veil. You can barely see barely her face, see her face, but but you You're can feel the
0: power to death of her. My sister asked if our Eight-year-old niece could watch this film, and that was the first scene I thought of. Where I was like, "You know what? Too intense for an eight-year-old." I think I would have had nightmares for weeks if I had seen Charlotte Rampling in that veil.
1: Right. As I said, I read the book a long time ago, but that's one scene, one moment in the book that I still remember every detail. And I said that on Twitter. I said that was exactly what I imagined. Yeah. Um, it was perfect, and it's crazy because I was reading an interview. an, uh, An interview. Um with the director and that was the first scene shot. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. That always drives me I'm fascinated by it, like how you do that in movies. Like, you know, let's start here.
0: Right, in the uh, middle of the story.
1: In the middle of the story, you have to be a good actor.
0: Pull it off, man. That's Pardon why. Me. You, well, they've been rehearsing for some point at I that know, time. but so. even
1: so, I mean, it's crazy. I yeah. mean, I remember Lord of the Rings was the same thing.
0: The first scene they shot with Aragorn was on top of uh, Weathertop. What's it? Yeah, is that the first scene? No. I believe so. Uh,
1: no, I think the first scene was when um, I forget. But they they had to cry. It was and, in the
0: middle of a an action scene. His yeah, first yeah, day on the them. set, he had to yes. wield a. So I'm pretty sure it's Weathertop, Bree, where the. Uh,
1: but it's just crazy that that's how
0: you so start your a job. Bunch of nerds.
1: I um, <laughs> but that's how you start your job. You right. know, uh, it's like uh, you're going to do this first and then you have to find all the right emotions and, you know, to play the scene. Anyway, it was brilliant. Uh, if you read the book, I'm I'm quite sure you appreciate that moment very, very much. It's just the way they did it in a library. Yeah. Uh, the costumes and, and the
0: lighting There's and everything. There's a, is just a perfect. scene just prior to that where the... A bunch of the Bene Gesserit order arrive on Caladan in the middle of the night and they disembark from this ship. And it is.
1: Oh my God.
0: Amazing. Utterly terrifying the way it is shot. The music, because yes, it's in the yes. pouring rain it's and, it, and it's all of these nun like figures with these bizarre head. Right. They're more witch right. than right. nun absolutely stunning filmmaking just in that moment there's also a huge battle scene at the end but it's not like a space battle scene it's actually like you know on the ground where the cinematography and the staging of it is just absolutely breathtaking absolutely gorgeous yeah the the other thing i loved is that the so much of the um so much of the art direction on the film is inspired by brutalist architecture you know, that sort of poured yes, concrete yes, yes. and, you know, basic form. Like the ships are just like these metal spheres, you know, or these columns. Locked. I mean, it's yeah. just one.
1: Th- yeah. It, it, and
0: then the palaces are just poured concrete and, and slits for windows and just a fascinating just way yeah. to interpret, uh, science fiction, uh, instead of like these plasticky molded, like, you know, it's all, it gives, I will say, and again, I keep coming back to Lord of the Rings. Um, they did such a good job for me. Who I got, the, I got it immediately because I did not know what the setting was, and I was like, "Oh, this is a very, very old culture that a long time ago came from Earth." And right. you get that in the first fifteen minutes of the movie, just through things like art direction, th- names like Duncan Idaho and stuff like that, where you realize, "Oh, this culture is ancient as hell, like super, super right, old." Right, right. But These are essentially all earthlings, you know, in origin. Uh, And I do, I think they did such a stunning job of that. Um, The costumes in general are fantastic. My only issue with the costumes is that they're so monochromatic. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, Some parts of the movie, they tend to just go with one color. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess... The, it it goes with the cinema, with the visual, which is also very brutalist. dark. Yeah. Yes, it is. So maybe that's what it is. I do want to acknowledge the uh, costume designers, Jacqueline West and and Bob Morgan. Um, they talk about their inspiration for the costumes in general, and they, as you said, they 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 were trying to reference the Star Trek or Gardens of the Galaxy, but at the same time go through. Uh, Medieval uh, imagery of nuns and uh, popes and paintings of racist Goya. And yeah,
0: you think so? The Goya thing, I think they completely pulled off. Yes, the Goya thing. You can see that inspiration as soon as you read it. Um, okay, so I I would highly recommend this film. Yes, I even absolutely. if you haven't read the books, I do think it's brilliant. I think stylistically it's brilliant. I think Rebecca Ferguson gives a oh stunning God. she's the perfect. completely mother. no, no idea that it was going to be that good, but she <laughs> does an amazing job. uh, her fear and her tension as well as her strength all come through. Um so yeah I would recommend it Lorenzo thinks it's problematic if you have read the books but you still I wouldn't say
1: problematic I'd think it, it, it misses a few things I forgot to mention that certain characters weren't mentioned at all there's uh Fade Rafa the character um they don't mention him at all the nephew uh in the in the 1984 version the character was played by Sting and again little boy me I still remember him and, you know, wearing next to nothing. Right. Uh, playing that character very badly, but it's still, you know, with it was a character that I can't forget.
0: It, it made an impression. On I
1: you. know. So you, uh, certain characters weren't mentioned at all. Uh, maybe they'll, I'm sure they, they have to bring them, uh, you know, in, in part two. Or it's part of the book. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's more like, oh, okay, that's how they're doing it. Right. Uh, if you read the book. More than major disappointment. I think the... I, I guess I'll, I'll have more to say when I see the part two, and if there is a part. Three years from now. Yeah. Anyway, but right now I think they did a good job. I think uh, you. I mean, you were a great example of that. I, you don't have to. You know, you you don't have to read the book, or you you know you can enjoy the movie even even if you didn't read the book.
0: Uh, which brings me to my next point, which is a minor thing erupted this week when a editor and film critic at IndieWire posted a little diatribe on social media that she was furious with a friend of hers because he turned it off after 90 minutes and she was like, this is why people shouldn't be watching this at home. It's not fair to the filmmakers. And Look, I didn't see it on a big screen. I saw it on my, my what, 47-inch screen TV, right. which is big, but not an IMAX theater. And I, I get it. I'm sure it is completely overwhelming in IMAX. Actually,
1: 52, now, I, now that 52 I remember.
0: 52-inch, all yeah. right. Uh I'm sure it's completely overwhelming in IMAX with Dolby's surround sound the whole nine yards, but um I think it's pure snobbery to attack someone for not doing it that way, especially right. in the middle of a pandemic. Um you, you I, watch I do of- get that we are uh that the movie industry is having a really hard time figuring out how to make money and what they're what they're You know, economic model is supposed to be when people aren't going to movie theaters and everything's moving to streaming. And I get it. I get that filmmakers are upset. I get that certain actors are upset. This is why Scarlett Johansson wound up suing Disney because she got screwed out of a lot of money that was promised to her because they didn't release it in the theater or they released it limited in the theater. I don't think they released Black Widow at all in the theater. So I get that there's a lot of tension in the film world, and, I'm, and I get that critics, especially film critics, love to promote this a platonic ideal of how one should watch a film. But in 2021, in the middle of a pandemic, I think you sound ridiculous yelling at people for watching a movie at home when it's available to... It's not like someone pirated it. This is legally, this is how, you know, the it was decided by the studio to release the film... Some people are going to watch that at home. And not only that, you know, boo-hoo all you want. Some people are going to watch it on their phone. And I'm sure that makes Denis Villeneuve very unhappy. But that's true of any filmmaker. Your film is going to wind up on someone's phone. They're going to watch it on an airplane or on a toilet or something like that. That is the reality of movie making in this day and age. That is where things wind up. People are not necessarily going to the theaters in droves anymore and i don't know that we will ever return to that right and yes that will be a loss for the culture much in the same way vaudeville was a loss for the culture when that went away right. or the beauty of the silent era or whatever or when we turned from film to digital or when we got when everyone got vcrs and started renting like
1: right. there were and can pause now. People can pause. <laughs> and you know what? I remember.
0: I remember yes, the film yes. world screaming and yelling about that. That this was terrible. That you could watch these movies on your TV at home and pause it and go to the... And look. Um, I think it's. I think it's good to promote this sort of platonic ideal. And maybe I will go see this film in a theater at one point because it it really was amazing to watch. Right. Um, and I would probably like the whole experience. But I just think. The film world, especially people who write about film, they can be some of the most... Yeah. I love them. I follow a lot of film critics, and they follow us back. And actually, we just had an exchange with a film critic this morning who asked us for some um, quotes for a piece. Happy to do it. But the film world, especially when it gets on social media, is unbelievably dogmatic and critical of how other people approach films. And it's one of the things I just don't like. I will say television critics aren't necessarily like that. Um and I think the only thing I can attribute it to is is um, like people who review um, opera or classical music or that sort of thing mm-hmm. who get very snotty about how you like you shouldn't be listening to it on a radio, in a car radio, or whatever. But that's a more or less rarefied art form: opera, classical music. That is, a specific, it's not film, right?
1: Either, you know what I mean? Either, like, I mean, I can't even understand when people complain about watching uh, a theater play on right. tv for example right I-, I can understand i can totally understand that the experience is completely different if you're in the theater it's one thing so I-, I can get that kind of criticism but at the same time i think you we should appreciate the fact that we have various ways of watching things now yes and if you as you said if you like a movie so much and you watch it on your phone or on your computer if you want to give it a shot and go to the movie theater too. Yeah. If, if you think how, I, I, we've had this conversation here so many times, cause you love to watch things on your computer. And then how many times you just come to me and like, Oh, do you want to watch this movie with me? I love it or whatever. Let's watch on the big screen on the big right, TV. Right, right. Cause I want to see it. I haven't seen it on the big screen yet. You you say that all the time. Right. So there is the option now that you can just go and watch again.
0: The fact remains that most people who will see a movie, any movie, right, are going to see it on a not in a theater. Right. There's only a, a select group of people who wind up seeing a film in a theater. And if that film lives on for years afterward, there are, I would say, ninety percent of the movies that I have watched, ninety five percent of the movies that I have seen, and I have seen a lot of movies. I watched on a TV screen. I didn't watch in a movie theater. I
1: actually don't like to go to a movie theater anymore because of many things. Um, And movie theater has changed, too, because now there's a lot of noise. People on the phone, they drive Mm -hmm. you crazy. And sometimes I'd rather be at home with you, silent. You know, we, we, we talk very little. And we're focused on the movie as opposed to, like, phone ring, right. ringing in, in, in the movie Where theater. Or people bringing their babies or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I've, people have actually answered their phones while I was in the movie theater. So, it's, it's annoying. You can't do anything about it. Um, so, that ruins the experience, too. Right. Um, so, things have changed. That's my point. Things have changed. And I guess you now have the... You know, you have many choices, and you pick the one that works for you.
0: And I mean, the snobbery compounds because now it also assumes that everyone has access to an IMAX theater. First, right. There are only so many in the country. There are right. huge portions of the country right. that don't have IMAX theaters. Not to mention the fact that an IMAX ticket costs roughly twenty dollars. So the the snobbery of saying you must pay twenty dollars and you must sit all the way through the film, otherwise it's disrespectful to the, that's crazy talk. That is that's crazy nonsense. Yes. Yeah. I went to film. School and most of the films that I watched in film school, the foreign films, the classic films, were watched on a TV screen.
1: Right. Weren't they have that conversation about books that it's insulting to the author if you? That was like a month or book. so ago. Yeah. People are
0: just losing it. <laughs> <laughs> They're just losing it. Um, I, think, um, I think
1: that, yeah, I think it's a combination of losing it and also the fact that. Critics in general now, the, the, the field is so competitive that they just keep looking for something else to talk about that nobody's talking about. Right. How can I make this, you know. And a lot of it just centers around who's, complicated.
0: who's watching movies wrong. Right. Who is expressing the wrong ideas about movies? And it's like, oh, please. People, shut up.
1: It, it, it Yeah, if you can't afford it, I'm insane the ones who can't afford it, you can get a big screen, get a big TV. Uh, you have amazing headphones, you know, like yeah. you just go or go with a sound bar, the best one you can find, and then you know you you have a great experience again if you can afford it if not and that's the story here and as you mentioned not everyone can
0: afford all these things so right sometimes the phone sometimes yeah and yeah. let people watch shit on their or phone. the computers the they're thing not they pirating have. it like right don't be a, don't be a snob about it um people come to films in different ways they take different things out of them uh, it's better that you just have engaged audience members who are enjoying cinema, even if it is held in the palm of their hands. Right. Guess what? It's the 21st century. Yeah, this just, is
1: where it's going. Let me just say one more thing about that. Like, sometimes I watch something on a big screen or, and, and then I go to my computer and watch it again because I want to see all the details, especially like the set, the props, everything. Right, right. So you are, in a way, uh... Sort of like appreciating the work of everybody, not just the director, but the work of people who worked with props, with tables, with, with chairs, you know, like everything, colours, costumes. Sometimes I go and because on the computer I can see it better, so I can look at the garment, I can look at something.
0: So I agree. So it doesn't matter how you do, so long as you do. <laughs> um and I've, I completely recommend doing it. Yes, absolutely, it because absolutely. Doing it. Go and Dune it, because it really is uh, one of the best science fiction films of the last 50 years. I'm really going to stand on that. Yeah, they all
1: keep talking about the definite version of Dune.
0: Well, there haven't been that many. I I know,
1: I know. But I have to say, this is a very good one.
0: Uh, I was pleased with it. It's very thoughtful about the themes and about the the implications of the story. I wish it didn't have the sort of blind spot about... about Middle Eastern representation, right, right, cultural right. representation. And I wish they had interpreted it the same way they had interpreted European culture for the film instead of just, they basically just appropriated words and sounds and garments.
1: And uh, we'll see. It might get even worse with the second part. I know,
0: I know. <laughs> so, um, so I, and I, it, at the very least, if you're going to do that, if you're going to have entire cultures depicted on film that appropriate from... Middle Eastern or North African cultures, maybe you should cast some actors from that world, right. like in in lead parts.
1: Maybe they're all listening, listening, and and, and
0: will Oh, do I know Timothy job. Chalamet hangs onto my every word.
1: No, I'm talking about the director reading all the reviews and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might, you know, do there something. There hasn't
0: been a lot of talk about the Orientalism in the film, but there's been, That's why I brought up Roxana Haddadi, because mm-hmm. she's really been doing a good job of, sort of hammering that point home. Um, and I think it's it's something that needs to be talked about in the context of the film. It's excellent in so many ways, but it, this does feel like a blind spot to me. Right. And he, unfortunately, lapses into some cliches. But uh, still highly recommended. Would love to hear what too. all y'all kittens thought yeah. of it who have seen it or thought of the you know the stuff that we have brought up or in if you read the book how you feel about it yep. you know i we'd love to know. and let us know what you think of invasion if you've watched any of that i know Ooh. it's a shame girl that a shame sucks. <laughs> all right until next week when we're back with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desk take care of yourself love you mean it bye-bye bye